Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Okay, sweet. So I'm here with uh, Tax Girl. I'm here with Kelly Herb, who has a great handle and domain. I got to give you credit. You branded the hell out of yourself. So you have at Tax Girl on Twitter and you have TaxGirl.com. So already you're my kind of person for having this kind of pretty interesting uh, self-branding plus just being, you know, most people who understand taxes don't understand social media and content and you seem to do so. So am I, am I right in, in that assessment? I hope so. <laughs> Thank you uh, for the way. kind words. Yeah, no, um, I actually started out, uh, I think, pretty early on in the uh, kind of the tax writing business. I was an attorney that just started writing about tax. And at the time, I think a lot of people were writing really technical pieces. And I didn't think that made sense. So I was trying to be more accessible. So that's kind of how that evolved. And when I'm on your Twitter right now, it's showing me at tax mama and at tax tweet as people I may like. Are these your rivals? Are you, is it tax girl versus tax mama? No. Well, so first of all, tax mama is awesome. Um, that's <laughs> but she's amazing. Um, no, actually, what's really cool about tax Twitter, uh, which is our, our little sub Twitter, is right. that they're really great people. So um, we're not we're not so much rivals as we are colleagues. Great. Okay, I love it. And you had this Forbes article go viral recently that was, uh, I'll read the title, it was The Ordinary Taxpayer's Guide to the Extraordinary Story of Trump's Tax Returns. And I was looking at Forbes and basically I would say like, you've been a contributor and, and I would say your your normal post will get, you know, thousands of, of reads of views, I guess, uh, it shows it on the site. And this one has over 200,000 views. So this one definitely, uh, you know, hit a nerve, which I'm guessing you kind of had an inkling it would, or did this exceed your expectations? So the thing about tax coverage that's really tricky is that when you talk about views, if you were to look at my articles in March, you know, it's not unusual for one to get a, a million or two views, right? But for this time of year, right, um, people don't talk about tax in September, just as, <laughs> as a general rule, like, you know, people are over <laughs> it by now. Um, so that the coverage doesn't usually start up again until like December when people are thinking year end. So right. yeah, to have a lot of uh, views on something that doesn't directly impact you as a tax story um, is, is pretty uh, unusual, I'd say. I did expect some coverage of it. I think the thing that I got a lot of um, impact on social media, because actually I think it's probably been shared more than it's been read, um, is that <laughs> people, people were interested in the fact that my that particular article is more about the mechanics and not about the politics. And so I think that that was something that kind of um, caught a lot of people's eye, because I think right, right now a lot of people feel like the information that they're getting is just so filtered that they sometimes just want to know the, you know, they just want to know the stuff. They don't want to right. know all the extra and they don't right. want yeah. to. When I read this, 
perspective. This wasn't Trump is evil or Trump is the best. This was, hey, here's how you should think about this information that was released and what you can and can't draw from it, which I thought was a good kind of like just the information part that you're talking about. Okay, so yeah, this got a bunch of views. It's like, you know, selling a Christmas tree in May. Uh, you, you sold a lot of Christmas trees in May randomly. So, so I think that's, the, that's what's interesting about doing this article, not during tax season. So I think there's two things that I wanted to talk to you about. Number one was, you know, you say in this post, you're like, you know, I'm not going to kind of comment on, you know, this is not an opinion piece on, you know, to give you my take on Trump's tax returns because I haven't seen them and you should go read the article. Uh, so, so I do want to get your opinion on it. Uh, so even though in this thing you said you don't want to talk about it, I am curious, like, what was your, what was your personal reaction when you, uh, when you read the news, the, or the New York Times article? So one of the things that's really interesting is if, if you've been following the, the Trump tax story at all, and I've actually written about it as far back as 2015, um, you know, a lot of this information is not new to us. I think the thing that's so extraordinary about what the Times did is they have packaged it all at once, right? So I think a lot of the information, we've been hearing bits of this for you know years, just a page or two leaks out and somebody talks about it on, on Rachel Maddow or people of, uh, you know, Michael Cohen talks about it in his book. I mean, a lot of this information that we're hearing isn't new. Um, right. I think, but again, I think what's extraordinary and what the Times did is they took other information. And that's what I think sometimes we lack, right? As just readers, you don't know if somebody, if I were to give you my 1040 and you were just look at it in a vacuum just for this year, you wouldn't really know a lot about me. You might could tell how many kids I have, where I live. Like there are things you can glean from a tax return, right. but you might look at my business. What if my business last year was phenomenal and this year it's not, you're not going to know that from that one tax return. So I think that what the times did and looking at so many years and then also looking at additional information and comparing it to FEC filings and SEC filings, it was a lot of information that they digested for the reader, which I think is really something that we haven't seen before. Um, and, you know, to, to the point about a lot of people have said, well, why do we need to see it now? Um, you know, I don't know that that's a personal decision on your part, but I, I will say that usually when you are evaluating presidential candidates, you'd like to know what the economics and what the, the finances are, not just in terms of are they successful or are they not, but, you know, where are their business interests? What kinds of money do they owe? You know, who do they owe that money to? Yeah. And um, we've seen that from other candidates and we haven't seen it from this president. And so I think that's what's really um, you know, both interesting and extraordinary about what the Times did. And were you surprised? Okay, you know, the kind of the catchy headline was Trump paid 750 bucks of federal income taxes or federal, yeah, federal, federal taxes in that year. I forgot which year it was, 2016, maybe um, 2017, something like that. Was that a surprise to you or you were yeah. like, no, that's not shocking? No, actually, the only, I will say, the only thing that I read that actually truly triggered a, and again, this is probably from a tax geek standpoint, but truly triggered a hmm from me right. is, um, you know, we've known, I mean, the, the business loss is nothing new, right? We've known this. Um, good years, bad years. We've known this. We've known there's a lot of bad years, um, you know, no matter what has been portrayed. We knew there were a lot of bad years. Um, but I think what was really interesting to me is when you look at the refund piece, which is kind of what everybody's talking about right now, there was one year in particular where uh, the president was able to take advantage of Obama era um, bailout provisions 
to extend what's called carrybacks, which is where you can recover. If you have like a really good year when you're, but you've had a couple of bad years, um, you can balance those out so that you can either lower your tax bill going forward or you can get a refund based on years uh, previous. The fact that he did that isn't the part that I found interesting. What I found interesting was um, he was entitled to a large refund, which he got in 2010, according to the Times. Right, so and, the $72 million one? Yeah, yeah, and so that's based on several years from, uh, he got a refund based on some losses to recover from years that he had done well on The Apprentice. Mm -hmm. so he had paid some taxes in 05, 06, 07, 08, and then he has a bad year. He can, he can kind of uh, apply that bad year backwards and, and get a refund. So, and, and that part didn't, didn't surprise me either. But the part that I found really extraordinary in the, when I was reading is that um, he, uh, that went to a joint committee for review because the number's so big. That's actually by statute. Once right. refunds hit over $2 million, they go to a committee. <laughs> so that people are like, hmm, let's look at this and make sure it's legit, right? So that's what happened. Um, and that was, that was kind of the crux of the audit that the president kept talking about every year when he says he couldn't release his returns because they were on audit. Now we know that that's what triggered the audit was that, that year. Because um, that's separate from the piece about, you know, presidents get uh, audited every year because he wasn't president. And right. This is unrelated. Um, but when you, when you get audited, uh, you, you know, sometimes that can go on for a while. But it's extraordinary for it to go on this long. And um, according to the Times, that's because they were unable to reach a deal. And uh, the president kept consenting to extend the time to assess, right. which is like a, a, a move that, you know, you can do for all kinds of reasons. But the thing that's interesting to me is they say that in 2014, at least the Times says, that in 2014, they were close to a settlement. And that's what I found extraordinary because as a business person, and I run my own show as well, you know, you don't typically like to have that kind of uncertainty, especially on the, on the financial side go on for that long, right? So it's, it, that was the piece, I have to say, out of the entire report and the follow-up, it wasn't the losses or the depreciation or any of that. It's the, the idea that as a business person, you would be close to a settlement in 2014 and then six years later still be hashing that out. And you know, we don't know why it fell apart. We don't know the details. I'm not gonna speculate, but I will just say again, as someone who runs my own show, if I knew that I might have to pay back $100 million, um, I, think I, would, <laughs> I think I'd want that resolved sooner rather than later. I see. Okay. Uh, all right. So that's sort of the Trump tax side of things. And uh, the other piece of this is just, we have a lot of people um, that listen to this that have their own businesses that, you know, taxes tends to be your biggest expense, the more successful you get. Mm -hmm. Um because it scales up with success in many ways. And uh, I know for myself, I've spent the last six months trying to figure out how do I reduce my own tax burden? Um, because, you know, uh, it's, it's large and I want to be smart about it. Mm -hmm. And I started from a place of completely zero education around it. And now I'm like, oh, can I go buy a building, put solar on the roof to get some credits, depreciate the bill? You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to think through what are all my options here? Yeah. Um, you know, should I be living in the Caribbean type of thing? And, <laughs> um, and so I just wanted to get from you kind of like, 
I don't know, is there a 101? Is there a dumbed down uh, version of it that you could sort of walk people through of things that they should be thinking about or looking at if you are a business owner um, and you're trying to, to think about, uh, what, trying to think about tax strategies that you think work, uh, work well? So, well, first of all, there's two things. So the first thing is that um, I, I kind of, just to tie back to the Trump piece as well, you know, as you mentioned, taxes are a big part of being a business owner. It's rare that you're going to have a $750 tax bill. I mean, no matter what you do over and over and over. So I think the one thing people need to think about is not to compare their tax liability to other business owners because your circumstances are very different, right? Even if you have two website owners, it's still gonna be very, very different. What you do, how successful you are, how you spend your money. So the first thing I would say is just be careful about comparisons. But then um, one of the other things that you said, which I thought was really interesting, like you mentioned uh, solar credits. I'm like, yeah, like as you're talking, I'm like, absolutely, those are things you can do. Yeah, because there are definitely, things that you can do depending on the kind of business that you have that will reduce your tax liability. But you shouldn't, as a business owner, be too quick to focus on lowering your taxes because as a business owner, you want to maximize your profits, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily just focus on taxes. And a lot of times to lower taxes, you have to spend money. So you want it like those solar panels, right? So you need yeah. to figure out, is that going to be a return on investment that makes sense? Am I going to earn enough tax credits to make up for the outlay, uh, outlay of the funds in the beginning. And I think that that's sometimes where people get stuck because they start thinking to themselves, I'm gonna buy a car for my business because somebody told me if I get a car, I can write it off. I'm gonna buy a new printer and a third monitor. And they start adding all these things because they're deductions. All these expenses, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, if you could see me, I'm doing like little air quotes. I'm like, yeah. deductions. Um, but those are also spending money. So you shouldn't get so lost in the idea that you want to lower your tax bill, that you go down the road of spending money. What you should do, and this is, I think, where you are going, is that you should think of things that will make your business better that are also tax beneficial. And right. that's where I think people get sometimes confused. You know, does a third monitor make your life easier? If it does, then that's a really smart expense because it helps you be a better business owner and it's a deduction. So that's, I think my, my big takeaway would be to think of areas where, where if you spend the money to get the deduction or the credit, you're also getting a benefit to the business. It shouldn't right. always be focused on just lowering that tax number. This week's episode is brought to you by Our Crowd. Do you wish you were early in some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? With Our Crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our Crowd investors have benefited from Our Crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. What makes Our Crowd different is that they have in-depth due diligence, which includes meeting with management teams and doing comprehensive vetting of the deals that they decide to make as part of the portfolio. And if they've selected a deal, then accredited investors get an opportunity to invest alongside them at the same terms. If you're an accredited investor, you can join Our Crowd for free at ourcrowd.com slash the hustle. And you can review the deals. No payment is involved until you decide to participate. So today you can join Our Crowd's investment in Mimic. Mimic explains that their tiny robots allow surgeons to be less invasive and safely perform gynecological surgery so women heal faster and have less scarring. Mimic is a much needed innovation in the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar robotic surgery market. You can get in early on Mimic and other opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash the hustle. If you're interested 
interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. The our crowd account is free. Just go to O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash the hustle. Great. And uh, by the way, welcome, uh, Sam. Sam just joined. And uh, so Sam, we're talking to Kelly about uh, all things taxes. She is at Tax Girl on Twitter. And I think you have a podcast, right? Tax Girl podcast. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, if you like this, you can get more there. So um, so I'm a big fan of this rule called the 80-20 rule. And the 80-20 rule, for those who don't know, is basically, you know, how do I get 80% of the results with 20% of the effort? And if you look at any project you do, it tends to be that 80% of the outcomes come from about 20% of the inputs. Um, it's this common pattern you'll see. If you, if you invest in your venture capitalist, you invest in, in uh, portfolio companies, it will tend to be that 80% of your returns will come from 20% of the companies. So I'm curious, Kelly, is there a 80-20? If you were, um, if you're talking about, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who's looking for what is the 80-20, what are the 20% of efforts I would take or, um, you know, what are the first few things that come to mind when, you, when you're talking to somebody about their tax strategy that if you, you can't learn the whole tax code book, but if you really just looked at these, if you focused on this, these handful of inputs, you can kind of get a reliably large chunk of results from it in terms of, um, you know, being smarter about your taxes. What comes to mind if you're talking to a business owner? What do, where do you point them to first? What's kind of one, two, and three? So I think first is um, business expenses, which is something that that people are talking more and more about right now. Um, and they can be, you know, office supplies, they can be new cars, they can be lots of things. But I think that one of the things, it's funny because when we, when we talk about taxes, a lot of people assume that, um, you know, people over deduct. This is, I think, a myth in, especially amongst business owners. I find that business owners are so worried about being audited that they actually under deduct. And, so, and uh, to qualify though, for business owner, you're referring to LLC or can that include uh, C Corp as well? So I, it, all of them, I think. Um, I think LLCs, I think, but I, I think especially on the LLC and the sole practitioner. So somebody who is filing like a schedule C on their tax returns, yep. because I think when you have a corporation and I have, I have an actual corporation as well. Mine's an S, but still, um, when you have a corporation, I think that you, you think about things a different way in terms of how you separate home and business. When you are a smaller entrepreneur, maybe you have an LLC or you're filing on a schedule C, I think you, the fear, at least amongst my clients, the fear is a lot greater because there's more, it feels like there's more at risk, right? You can, you could lose your house if something goes wrong, as opposed to, just the assets inside the C-Corp. So I typically talk about um, LLCs and pass-throughs and, and Schedule Cs because those are the most common. Probably yep. if you throw S-Corps in there, about 80%. Right. Not a lot of people anymore do C-Corps just because of the, um, the uh, they're actually tax disadvantages and more right. tax training required, if that makes sense. Yep. So, but yeah, like a business person, I'm thinking somebody who owns their own company, again, usually as an LLC, like they use it as path through, pass through because that's an easy way to do your taxes. And you talk about expenses, that's another example. Something, if you're a, a single member LLC, for example, just by ticking a box, you can actually eliminate an entire tax return, which saves you money because you don't need another, you know, step along the way. So you can eliminate an extra right. So I think a lot of times uh, business owners, again, especially smaller businesses, 
worry a lot more about, because they're looking at the numbers a lot. I think that people who are more involved in the day-to-day, they're looking at the numbers more. Um, and so they're worried, they're, they're, they're the ones who are wondering whether or not that printer, because they also use it to print out their kids' homework, really was a business deduction, so they don't claim it. So in terms of what I would say yes to, I would say look at the ways you spend money and see if they could be re-characterized as business expenses, because I do think that more people under-deduct than over-deduct. I would, I would imagine, and Sean, what do you think that most of the people listening are C Corp people or uh, it'll be a mix, right? So anybody who's kind of venture backed will be C Corp, but yeah, I think it would be because of the, the issues with transfer. Right. Absolutely. But I think for the majority of listeners, I mean, of course there are venture backed founders listening to this, but I think the most, most people are, I own a roofing company. I'm a consultant. I have an agency. I, um, you know, whatever, like I, I have an e-commerce store and those will not be C-Corps typically. Yeah. So can you kind of quickly say what the, you kind of gave a good 80, 20. I mean, you basically, you said that most people under deduct. What about for C, C folks? Well, I think that's the, the difference is, and again, this is a, some of it's semantics. I understand because it's really sort of all the same pot of money. Although my corporate lawyer husband would argue with that characterization. But when you have a C-Corp, it, the, the difference in separation is a lot more, right? You typically don't use your personal credit card for your C-Corporation. You're going to have the C-Corporation credit card, um, even if it's in your name. So even if it says Kelly Herb and then it says Tax Girl on the bottom, it's still probably registered through the corporation. It's a lot more tricky when it's an LLC that you run yourself, maybe you're paid as a consultant or a freelancer or gig economy and the money comes to you directly. Um, I think that that's where kind of the difference, where you see the difference because it's a lot, if you have an American Express card that you only use for your C corporation, you know, there, and you buy things in the name of the corporation, the separation is a lot more apparent. So when you go to put things on your tax return, you see, here's the credit card. Now, I advise my other business clients who are in LLCs or Schedule Cs, solo practitioners, all of those folks' partnerships, to also keep things separate. But I do think it becomes a lot more tricky, especially now in a COVID world, right? Because a lot of us are working from home. So all of a sudden, you know, I have a, a microphone set up in my office because that's the work that I do. My husband, however, hasn't been able to go into his office on a regular basis. So now he has one too, even though that wasn't his, his deal. So that's where I think it gets tricky. I think it's where when things kind of overlap between home and business, you know, how do you, how do you draw those lines? And I think that that's where, when I say that I think C corporations probably deduct more reliably than other kinds of businesses, I, I think that's sort of where, where I'm going is that I, I, I think it's that when there's not as clear a separation, it can sometimes be really easy to say, oh, I, I don't know. I, I, ride, I, I drive my car for home and business. I'm just going to say it's personal rather right. than deducting those miles. But if the, if the company was a company car, of course you're deducting it. So I think that that's where you see kind of the, the shades of gray. And, um, so Kelly, let's say, uh, uh, here's my experience, here's been my experience. So I have, uh, I've had people who just kind of like do the company books, mm-hmm. uh, have an accountant who, you know, d- helps me with my taxes every year. I've done TurboTax on my own in, in prior years. 
Uh, what I really want is I want somebody who I could say, hey, I'm paying a million dollars in taxes in 2019. Um, how do I not pay a million dollars in taxes in 2019? Mm-hmm. And I want, you know, who's Trump's guy? I want Trump's guy to come to me and basically be like, oh, here's what you need to do. You need to, you know, blah, 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 blah. Establish some domicile somewhere else. You need to buy this piece of heavy machinery and you'll get paid for it every month. Plus you're going to be able to write it all off uh, for this this year and next year we'll do something else. Where do I find that person? Is that a tax <laughs> strategist? Is that a, a pipe dream? And a, a, do I have to be 10 times richer than I am today? What should I do? So, so it could be your accountant. It could be a tax planner. It could be a tax attorney like me. Um, I, I think that where people, especially in when you're getting started in business, kind of fall down on that is that you don't want to spend a lot of money, right? So you do the turbo tax, you do the accountant, and what you do is you see that accountant one time a year, you see that accountant in March or April, and then you never see that person again. That's kind of like going to the doctor when you're sick, but then right. never going for anything else. Like you've had a you know, you're, you've had a cough, but you didn't really want to look at it because it's not a full-blown cough yet. And you're thinking you'll get it looked at eventually. That someday isn't a good thing to do. It's the same kind of thing with business. You know, the, the person who knows who sees your books probably has a really good idea of areas that you could possibly get a better deduction. You could recharacterize into a credit. You might qualify for a deferral. They might have all kinds of suggestions for you. Um, but if you're only seeing them when you're handing over your data and signing your return, you're not really getting the benefit of that. You should, at a minimum, be meeting with your tax person once a quarter. Um, and that let them look at your books and say, you know what, turns out that because of COVID and the CARES Act, you may qualify for PPP money, which is the Paycheck, uh, Paycheck Protection Program, which also not only for people that had employees, but also for self-employed persons was applicable. That money was a loan, but it was a forgivable loan. So it's tax-free to you. So it's income tax-free. You could have gotten paid to keep running your company during COVID and not have to pay that back. You might not have known that or whether you even qualified for it without talking to your tax person because you're not going to get that in TurboTax. And so I think that when you say like, who's Trump's person? It's not that he has a person, it's that he has a team. He has accountants. He has a, an accounting firm. I think it's Mazers. He also has uh, tax attorneys. They, um, I happen to know one of them is William Nelson, because I always remember that his tax attorney was Willie Nelson. Um, so there's, there's lots of, um, you know, he has people. And uh, I think that that's sometimes where business owners skimp, because they don't want to pay for people. But just like any other thing, like you talk about efficiencies and, and how you can spend money to, to get a benefit, those that people, that team could maybe help you figure out strategies. Think about it actually to Sam's question earlier, should I be a C or should I be an LLC? Does it make sense to, you know, again, generally a C corporation is less tax advantageous, but the reason people do it is because they're, like you mentioned, venture, they're going to sell or they have um, foreign investors. Like there's reasons why that might happen. But if that's not you, if you're listening and you are the roofing company that you mentioned, maybe you want the LLC and you need to have somebody give you that information. Sean, do you know what QSBS is? I do, but I'd love for Kelly to say it better than I will. I would love that as well. Kelly, and here's how I, 
Uh, I mean, this is how we've been it's thinking about it. It's this magic pill you take. You don't have to pay $10 million in taxes. Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, you have, uh, as long as you own a small business stock for four years five, or five, five. five years, you, you don't have to pay federal uh, capital gains tax up to $10 million of uh, $10 million of the gain, correct? Well, I mean, sort of. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of rules, um, and it's actually a relatively. It's funny. It's uh, in the in the tax world. It's actually a relatively new rule um, because it's only been around since the '90s. So uh, that that actually makes it a bit of of a new rule. Um, but yeah, so it basically allows you to recharacterize um, stock that you have um, so that you can get a tax benefit for it. And it only applies to small businesses. Um, the, the QSBS part of it obviously is qualified small business stock. Um, so, uh, but you have to be a C-Corp for that, which is, I, I guess, where you're going with that. So there is uh, ways to, uh, it is a way to reduce your tax liability if you want to go, you know, down the C corporation route. Yep. I have friends who have uh, done this and it's amazing. And you, you just look up the rules of if you qualify or not. Uh, you don't have to do anything in advance. I think you do it sort of at the end um, when you do have that, that those gains. The other thing I thought was interesting, this is the last thing I wanted to ask you about, um, I had heard the story that um, there's this guy, Peter Thiel. He was the first investor in Facebook. He was the mm -hmm. former founder of PayPal and that his investment, he put 500 K into Facebook and he put it in through like an IRA or something like that. Like he's been investing out of a retirement account um, so that his gains in Facebook were tax free, essentially. Um, do you know about this? And tax deferred. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I've had people do that with our company through IRAs. Yeah, so I think it was probably, I'm guessing, a self-directed IRA is, yeah. my, is my guess. Um, and yeah, so, and there's actually, it's interesting because I, um, I haven't done it as much right now because they, those kinds of plans have been under attack from the IRA because a lot of the, sorry, IRS, because a lot of them were um, perhaps being used in ways that they weren't intended to be used. But I actually used to represent a lot of folks who did that with artwork. Um, they did, um, and real estate, that was also uh, self-directed IRAs were being used. It was um, art and, and real, being funded by art and real estate. Um, but what you're talking about is when you have a retirement plan, um, and the reason I, I jumped in and said tax deferred, not tax free, um, is because when you have a retirement plan, the growth inside the plan isn't taxable to you until you pull it out. Uh, and so you can absolutely put certain kinds of assets inside the plan that might be appreciating quickly. Um, and it doesn't even have to be your company. It could be something like Amazon. You know, if you had bought Amazon back in the day and it was in your retirement account, it doesn't get taxed to you as it grows. It only gets taxed to you when you take it out. So it is a really uh, good way to invest long term. Now, where it gets tricky is like when you mentioned, if you're going to be, there are, there are rules, and this is where the IRS uh, is looking, um, you know, there are rules about the kinds of assets that can be contributed, whether or not there are other people in your company and what kinds of contributions they're also making. Um, and then you have to be careful about um, exchanges, like whether or not you're exchanging one asset inside the plan for another. So right. there are a lot of rules that uh, govern them. But yeah, they're absolutely, people are also doing this with uh, crypto. They're doing it with gold. Um, there's a lot of, you don't have to have a Vanguard account to, to have a retirement account. There's absolutely ways that you can 
fund them on their own. And again, the, the particular thing I think you're referring to is it's called a self-directed IRA. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Kelly, this has been great. I uh, appreciate you coming on and dropping some tax wisdom on us. Uh, as you can see, we are pretty novice. You know, what's, bo- what's before right. a white belt? Like we're, we're just signing up for the free seminar right now. Yeah, uh, we, right. we don't even have our white belts yet, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. And I love, I love, I love that you took expertise in one place and then build an online presence around it. Like if, if I was going to learn one thing from this, it actually wouldn't be anything about tax. It would be about wow, look at this, a tax attorney created an online brand around Tax Girl. And I've seen doctors doing this too. And they're making YouTube channels, breaking down sports injuries and getting millions of views uh, by being a doctor who creates content. And I think that there will be more content creators who are you know, specialists and professionalists in other like verticals that, that do this. And you're a great example of one. Thank you. I appreciate that. And if I could leave one piece of wisdom, though, just uh, would be absolutely kind of going back to the thing that you mentioned before, is just if you have tax questions, whether it is a website or whether you go to YouTube, um, it pays to get good information. um, And no matter how you consume it, because I do think that using those kinds of strategies is what can make you successful. Because again, you don't want to focus on paying the least amount of taxes. You want to maximize your profits. Right. Yeah. And free tax advice is expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. Sounds good. All right, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sean. Okay. I've got something I want to ask you about. Yeah. Okay. So I was thinking about this course thing we're putting together. There are a significant amount of companies that look like they are one thing on the outside, but behind it, it's just a bunch of people doing all the work. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give you three examples. Go for the it. first is I found a website online that you pay $150 and you get a, do- a, a cartoon dog canvas. And so what you do is it's like, I, and I made a website to test it. All it is, is you upload a photo of your dog. They send it out to like fiverr.com. They get the, the cartoon made for five bucks and then you can get it put on canvas for like $25. They sell for 150. The second one, is, you know, pitchbook.com pitchbook. Yep. Okay. They do like 150 million a year in sales. A lot of their data they get because they hire these guys in India to like, just go out and cold call people and ask for like, that's all it is. I mean, at this point, I think it's a little, it's far more sophisticated than I'm dumbing it down to, but that's like, I, I believe how they made a significant amount of money. And the second one or the third one is summarizing books. So we are, well, this is a two part one. We were talking about this company called card munch and the way it started was this guy would, he built this really simple app where he would take a picture of a business card. And then on the back end, there was human beings that would transcribe that business card and upload it to your contacts. Same with summarizing books. So like, okay, Cupid started this way where they just outsourced it and they just had someone summarizing all these books for like so cheap, like 50 bucks. Okay. What? Cupid did that? What do you mean? Sorry. Um, the guy who started, okay. Cupid had another company called spark notes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes, Sparknotes. Sorry, yeah. Anyway, what else have you heard of that was like that where it's... Well, we have a friend uh, who did this in the textbook summary space. Yes. Um, so he did the same thing. Um, one of the... one of the uh, We'll ask him afterwards if we can run any of this. I'll cut it out otherwise. Um, but one thing that, you know, you go buy a textbook, you it's a math, it's a calculus book for your, your college class. And then there's like, at the end of every chapter, there's these like problems with, um, and they typically the textbook has like a solution at the back, right? You go look up the answer in the back, see if you got it right. But the answer is like one line. It's like, you know, 
the answer was C, but you don't know why it was C. You don't know how they arrived at C. And so he got a bunch of smart people in India to like go through and actually hand solve all the, all the uh, chapter one, two, three, four, five, all the questions in there with the actual show your work. And um, people would buy these like course note solutions, basically the, court, the textbook solutions um, that were actually like fully written out, which they could either use to just like fill in their homework without doing their homework or to learn and be like, oh, that's how you actually solve that problem. Cool. This is like a tutor, but way cheaper. Um, and so that was, I thought, a, a really good hustler solution to, to that problem. What I think someone can do, and I think I personally, I don't want to do this. I think I could do this in a matter of 30 days is build a company by going to fiverr.com, finding one of two things. One, the most impressive $5 bit of work. Right. Something that like, I would see this and I'd be like, are you kidding me? This is only $5. Right. Then I would make my own website and make it look amazing and sell it at a massive uptick and then just manage the contractors to get it done. Yes. The second thing that I would do is find talents on Fiverr. Fiverr, for those listening, it's a, uh, a marketplace for jobs that cost $5. Of course, now they do like more than $5. Yeah, but now nothing costs $5. Everything's $20. <laughs> right. So it's, it, it, but it's like, like someone's like, oh, I'll narrate your 30 second commercial. Right. I'll and, make your um, podcast intro. Yeah. Which is, I think, how this one was done. Um, or at first, maybe. Yeah. But, um, I would find a Fiverr job that was positioned poorly and I would reposition it and market it just like that. So for example, I found this guy who would do cartoons. I would just say, Oh, I'm just gonna make it strictly dog cartoons. Send me a picture of your dog. Like, you know what I mean? Or I will narrate this thing for you. I'm going to turn it into like custom voicemails by the guy who sounds like blank. Right. Or like Donald Trump impression voicemails. Right. Yeah. You take impression guy who does a good Donald Trump impression. You're like, okay, cool. This is Donald Trump wishing you happy birthday for $35 as a service. Exactly. And so you just fix the positioning. Right. Um, I'm looking through Fiverr right now and looking at the popular categories. So um, a lot of them are on like, like basically some kind of either it's, it's a lot of like creative arts. So design, uh, music, video, things that people typically don't have the skill set to do themselves. So it could be like package, like coming up with your brand packaging, um, fixing up your web personal website, your portfolio, um, creating a logo for your brand, right? That's like one of the most common Fiverr jobs ever. And um, so there's a bunch that are like that. There's like hand illustrated portraits of you. There's voiceovers, there's impressions. There's, I think there's a lot of these. Somebody called this I think productized services, basically it's something that's traditionally done as a service, but you productize it. So it seems like, Oh, I click this button and I receive this product back. I receive this end output and underneath the hood, you, you're farming it out to Fiverr and Upwork and you're just connecting the dots for people that don't know that that's where they should go. Look, they don't want to take the time to go find the right person and write a brief and all that stuff. And you sort of automate that workflow. Yeah. And it's not like a scammy thing. I, I, I kind of presented it as a get rich quick kind of lazy way to do it. But of course there will be work. Like you have to vet the people. You have to make sure it gets done in a timely manner. If there's revisions, you've got to handle it. Right. Basically, but the vetting, the part, vetting the person. I remember the Ryan Beagleman was the first person who I heard talking about this. I forgot what he called it. Uh, but he had a great example. He had an example of some businesses doing like millions of dollars a year. That was literally just what you're talking about. I like, I didn't, I, oh, I, I definitely oversimplified pitch book, but I was like reading about it. I'm pretty sure they just have a team of like literally 300 guys in India who 
are just scraping massive amounts of data. Right. Scraping it by cold emailing and cold, cold calling people and then like writing things down. And also probably just like aggregating. Some scraping, yeah. Which is a technical skill, but yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, I think scraping would be a great one for this, which is like, oh, I need a list of this number of any leads about this. And it's just like, cool, um, just describe what you need. And if you pay me $200, I get you a list of 150 people that are like that. Or if you want 1,000 people that fit that criteria, great. And it's just basically saying, I can go scrape this for you. You don't know, you don't know how to do web scraping, but I do. Um, so you only have a few minutes, you said, right? Yeah. So I, was, I, I did something the other day. I asked people how they would describe the podcast. Um, I, on Twitter, I said uh, how I hate the name of My First Million and how it's stupid and how I hate explaining to anyone who I don't know about what I do and like how I co-host this. Yeah. But for the rare person who like is like you and I, it's like an addicting thing, which is what we hear consistently. Yeah. And I said, so how would you explain the podcast? And I got maybe 200 responses in a short amount of time. And one bit of feedback you and I got and I rarely give into this shit, but they are totally right, which is we have had almost all dudes on this podcast. We definitely need to get different types of people. Have you noticed that? Um, so, yes, I've noticed that. That was feedback we got pretty early on. We made an effort to try to balance that out as best as we could, but also we got rid of guests. I mean, literally on this episode, we had a female guest um, from a totally different background, right? Tax, tax attorney, very different. Um, so I don't know. I think, yes, the feedback is valid, but also, yes, we're aware of it and have tried to make strides on it. And yes, we probably also have a long way to go. And yes, I also am kind of exhausted by it and don't even like having guests on anyways. So I don't know how I feel about it overall. <laughs> I like having guests if they're like huge, interesting people. Like the Ty Lopez thing, like we got so can I, much. Can I read your uh, conversation from this morning out of Slack? This is, this is the Sam Parr experience. Okay, so Sam goes, where is it? <laughs> this is what it's like to work with Sam. Um, so Abreu says, good news. We're about to sell out of ads uh, for the rest of the year and into next year. Sam just goes, well, how much money also? We need banger guests once a week, like the founder of Shopify, Google, famous people. And then everybody says how much and then says who's, who's buying it out. Sam, that's fucking bullshit. That's way too low, period. <laughs> no, no solution offered. Abreu, well, okay, also for guests, we have the founder of Lambda School and the CEO of Shopify coming on next week. Those, those are getting interesting. But how about bigger, like fucking Hillary Clinton? <laughs> <laughs> Abreu's like, I don't know, dude. Talk to sales. I think the rate we're getting is pretty good. We just need to blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, then, and then he says, by the way, today we have a tax lady on who's going to talk about Trump's returns. <laughs> uh, I just thought it was so funny. I was like, man, working with Sam is like, it's like working with the weather. It's like some days it's sunny and bright and you're like, I love the weather. And then some days it's, it's like a thunderstorm and you but you don't blame the weather. The weather's just the weather. You don't get angry at the weather. It's like, I'm just, not, <laughs> the thing about me is like, I'm not actually like, I'm like one of those guys who I'll, I'll yell. And then it's like, you good? Yeah. What's going on? 
You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. You're not actually uh, angry at anybody. I just thought it was really funny the way uh, that you reacted. Actually, let's bring Abreu in. Abreu, uh, what was that like to be on the receiving end of that of that response? This is now an inter- intervention for Sam. I'm surprised you brought it up because, like, I just thought that was like normal Sam. Like, if he had responded a different way, Sam. if he had responded a different way, I would have been surprised. But that Are you was concerned. Yeah. No, I'm like, yeah, this is the reaction you get. I know, yep. but yes, this is, this is the normal Sam, but is this the normal of what you are used to? Or do you like it? Do you dislike Because some people might be like, yeah, I'm fired up. I like that. Just straight talk and uh, tell it like it is and don't, you know, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Um, so which, where, do you, where do you stand? How does it feel to be on the receiving no, it end? Feel, it feels normal because I think I get Sam's personality. So like when he says that, I'm like, yeah, it's normal. And I know how he would say it. I know how he would react to it. So it's... It's not like, I'm not like, oh, Sam's yelling. I'm like, oh yeah, Sam. We were recording this course yesterday and like midway through, I'm like, I don't, I don't fucking have it today. This is horrible. <laughs> and so we just had to end it. So yeah, I would say I'm, I'm, I have up and down, ups and downs. But um, it's very transparent how Sam feels. Like, I don't like people who like kind of hide or like their personality changes. It's like, right. you, you hate to things. guess how somebody's feeling about, about something, about your work, about you, about whatever. And I would say Sam doesn't make you guess. <laughs> Do you want to, um, I don't want to make this about me, but this is for anyone who's like crazy. So, and I know you got to go, so I'll make it quick. I'm hiring um, what I call as a COO. In reality, this person's going to be my CEO of the company. Yeah, and why don't you just call him CEO? I told them, I go, I'm going to call you COO at first so I can fire you really easily if you suck. And then after a while, we'll transition you to CEO. Frankly, gotcha. it's going to be a CEO. Okay. And um, the job description says like, don't take this if you, and I like have, like it's a, the job, the, the job description is literally just a reasons why you should not take this job. And people have liked it. And one of the things that it, it says is you just got to be like the straight woman or straight man to like me being nuts. And this the whole interview i'm just like telling these people i'm like so i'm like kind of crazy and you're gonna have to like just <laughs> figure out how to handle that a little bit and i was like i'm not like actually like a, an ass or i'm not actually nuts but like i'm very creative and whatever and so it's been, but I'm very creative <laughs> i don't know what do you want to call it it's just like i'm just like high energy and I'm very humble <laughs> well, I'm just super good looking and i <laughs> John, you missed the best part of that slack exchange which is the picture that he posted on twitter like right before you started reading the picture that he posted on twitter oh i thought he was gonna get roasted for that. <laughs> i didn't even see this oh what is this who is this what am i looking at it's a photo from a conference so i had to fly somewhere to speak at a conference and it was like I, it was across it was in a different country and i was exhausted in the morning and they're like all right come take your picture and i was like uh, I don't want to do this. And so they took a picture of me and I look like a grown up Bart Simpson. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's a headshot of, there's like a, like a professionally done photo of, of Sam. And then uh, Brady says, you look like a bootleg Carl Lentz and you're about to drop the worst gospel album of all time. And then this is what I, okay, this is, I missed this whole exchange. And then Sam posts a topless picture of Carl Lentz where he's just absolutely ripped. He's like, you're, you're right. Super similar. <laughs> Oh man, the whole Slack, the, people should pay to just be in the Slack. I think that's ultimately- By the I'm... way, Slack, I've decided is a cancer to my business. I hate Slack. I, I, hope, <laughs> uh, I hope they're not sponsoring it. Whatever, sorry, <laughs> cats out of the bag. I think Slack is the worst. It has ruined my work life. Do you like Slack? I love Slack. I think it's Dude, great. Oh my God, I don't want anyone talking to me. I have people who message me on Facebook Messenger, 
Twitter DMs, text message, Slack, email. What else is there? That's it. Zoom it's calls. the worst. It is the worst. It is horrible. I hate all these messages. And then Slack, six. Right. Well, to the future CEO of The Hustle. <laughs> Good luck. Dude, we're interviewing a bunch of ballers. We're interviewing all these people. And I'm like, why is this guy talking to me? <laughs> That's great. I uh, love it. Okay. One last thing about CEO ship. Uh, you saw this Coinbase letter memo that went out. What was your reaction to it? Totally for on board. Okay. So, so uh, I'll explain it for those who didn't see it. So just go look up Coinbase memo or something like that. You'll find it. The CEO of Coinbase basically emailed out like kind of a confusing little email, but like what, what he was basically saying was. It was definitely poorly written. It's poorly written, but he was like, hey, at work, um, like Coinbase is not going to like take political stands around causes. And also like when you're at work, just be at work. We don't, I don't want to be debating politics and social issues um, like that's kind of a distraction from our mission. And if we do put resources and donations and we do care about causes, it's causes related to our mission, which is, let's say, I don't know, like an open financial currency system or some financial system, which is like, you know, the crypto world. Um, so like, we're all about growing the crypto economy. That's what we're going to focus on. That's what we're going to do at work. That's what we're going to talk about at work. Those are the causes we're going to support and everything else doesn't have a place here. If that's not a place you want to work at, like there's a meeting with your manager where you can go and get another job. Um, and so that's kind of what he said. And people were really split on this, totally polarized. So I would say like there was um, like Paul Graham and who's the you know, founder of Y Combinator who was Pretty like- Pretty much anyone know. who's libertarian, like probably me, definitely me, probably you. I don't, I don't know what you consider yourself was like, oh yeah, this guy's awesome. And then anyone who's liberal or I'm generalizing was like, um, you know, how dare you not support X, Y, and Z. Right. Uh, but there was like, a, you know, a bunch of, you know, prolific people chiming in. And it was just interesting to see how split the opinions were. Um, you know, Dick Costolo, the formal, former CEO of Twitter was like, this is not good leadership. This is like, this is basically saying, uh, you know, shut up and dribble to your employees. And um, there was other people that were like, like, yeah, dude, I want work to be about work. And I don't want it to be about all these other things. And I don't think that we should be taking these stands. And I also just, I don't want that. It's already in my world everywhere else. I don't want it infiltrating work. And I so want work to be about performance. The shut up and dribble analogy is actually stupid because he didn't say he doesn't want his employees to mention anything. He just said the company, like the company is going to not stand for anything, but you can do whatever you want. And don't say, don't talk about it at work. Yeah. And so I don't right. think that's the same as shut up and dribble because um, it's just says while you're on my time, shut up and dribble while you're on your own time. I support you as a human. You can do whatever you want. Right. Um, I think that my thinking is if you have shareholders other than one person, you should try to, your only job is to make that share your shareholders wealthier. And all you should care about is business. And if you only care about business, you'll likely have happy employees because they'll feel like they're succeeding and things like that. If you own the whole company, I think you can, you should make it as political as you want. You know, like this could be your vehicle. This could right. be the Sean vehicle to do, to do anything he wants. And so the, the other argument is, um, no, we live in a society and uh, like companies should basically be helping society. And if there's societal issues, like we should have the courage, we should have the backbone to stand up and say when something's wrong. Um, kind of like that old quote. I, I don't know the quote exactly, but it's sort of like, you know, um, they came for the Jews, uh, but I, you know, but I'm not Jewish, so I didn't say anything. They came for the, for the bankers, but I'm not a banker, so I didn't say anything. And it's like they came for me, and there was nobody left to say anything. Uh, it's sort of like that, where if, um, 
if there are wrongs happening in a company, you know, if people and companies, people of power, which is in some ways organizations, uh, don't say anything, don't do anything, don't don't use their their platform and their influence, then uh, that's a shame, and I don't want to work at a place like that. That's that's another take that people have, and I think it's going to get split. I think you're going to get two types of companies. You're going to get companies that lean into the activism and people work there because they're like, yeah, that aligns with my values. And then you're going to get other people who are like, I don't want my work life to be so political or like to, to take a, a social stance on everything. I want work to be about business and I want, you know, I want it to be about uh, that, the actual mission of the business. Um, and I think it's going to get split and then people will self-select where they want to work. Which And by which the way, I think that last argument you made is actually a really good argument because in my head, I'm like, well, we would hopefully know like what's actually serious and what you should like say no to. And then maybe a lot of people will be like, well, this is serious. Like, why aren't right. you saying, and I'm like, uh, that, I, I would have to actually walk through that exercise on how to figure that out. Right. And the other interesting thing was uh, the sort of rumor mill was basically, cause it was like, why did you get, why did you post this like really weird thing? Um, it was, it was sort of weird because it was like, this is something he was saying to his company, but he published it and was like, I want other leaders to learn from how, what we did. And everyone else was like, you know, so split that it wasn't like this great example of anything. Um, and then some, uh, some, somebody on Twitter, and her name's Erica Joy. She's a black woman on Twitter. And she was basically saying, uh, by the way, the inside scoop of this is that he was like, you know, his hand was being forced. The engineers walked out because he wasn't saying X, Y, and Z. He wasn't saying Black Lives Matter. He wasn't, the company did nothing when all the other companies were standing up and saying something. Um, and so he was being pushed. And then this was his like tantrum back about like, okay, uh, you forced me three weeks ago. Because the, the weird thing is like three or four weeks ago, he posted on Twitter, I want to unequivocally say Black Lives Matter. And here's, you know, here's why that's, here's, here's what's wrong in the world and how we should work to fix it. Um, and so she was basically saying like, he didn't want to say anything. He was being pushed to say it. Engineers walked out. So then he put that statement up. But this is like the retaliation weeks later of like, look, that's not going to happen again. Like, that's not how our company is going to run. If that is true, and I'm going on Glassdoor right now and going clicking most recent. If that's true, then that's awesome. I think that's baller. I think that like- What, of him? <laughs> yeah, of him. If like someone threatens you, like, you know, if you don't do this, I'm out. In most right. cases, you should say, all right, bye. Right. Like just for that, just yeah, like that I, just- I would say that's, that's kind of the point I agree with you the most, which I think we both believe you should run your company the way you want. And then you should deal with the consequences of running your company that way, rather than this general idea of everybody needs to run every company the same way, which is the right way as dictated by the mob of Twitter or the mob of, you know, X group. And, um, and then people doing shit that they don't actually even believe to be the right way to do things. It's not even actually what they want to do, but feeling like they're going to get canceled or fired or whatever if they don't. Um, so I think the, the, the better world is, People do what they actually think they should do and then let the chips fall where they may. And then people will self-select around, um, around joining companies that, that are the way they want to be, you know, the type of company they want to join. And by the way, I don't entirely buy that story simply because I'm on Glassdoor is like the, one of the best places to get information on and learn all about a company. Typically the reviews are too good or too bad, but you could, so you got to like divide by half to get the middle. And anyway, I looked at, the reviews, I don't see a thing on that. That is, this is the type of thing that an employee would quit or get fired over. And that's the first thing they would complain about. And I don't see one thing since um, March that relates to that topic. 
Well, I think some of it's definitely true. I think there definitely was a walkout. The question is, did he do this because he learned, oh, the company feels this way and decided, made it made some decisions or is it truly like a kind of a, a retaliation or response to, to that? I don't know that part, but I think the, the walkout part was sort of confirmed by lots of people who work there. Now, I also would say you love Glassdoor. I never use Glassdoor. I don't know anybody who writes on Glassdoor. I'm sure obviously people do, but I don't know how on the pulse Glassdoor is, let's say. Uh, I'm not sure it's like in the same way that I don't think Yelp is, I don't agree with Yelp most of the time. And well, I know what it's like it, in our company. And I, I don't know if I would agree with the Glassdoor reviews of it either. It's a signal. It's not the answer. It's a signal. Right. But and what you're saying is if nothing's there, then it's a lack of signal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it, it, it's a signal. Like for example, if something on Yelp has 10,000 reviews and they're all positive and something has only three reviews or rather 10,000 reviews and it's only okay versus 10 reviews and they're all like perfect. You're like, what's going on here? Like this 10,000 thing actually right. might be pretty good if it's so popular. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, you, you, you don't look at the number you look at the, a variety of factors and that's how I use Glassdoor. And I think that it's like a fantastic way to do, uh, figure it out. Very cool. Um, all right. I got to run, but interesting episode. It's going to be a different, very different episode. we got the tax thing and then we got just kind of random shoot the shit at the end. So well, I think, um, I think we kind of crushed it in the last episode, although I didn't get a ton of feedback. It just went out today. Okay. We're going to get, I haven't gotten any WAP low over, which is what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where are the tweets? Uh, okay, I got to go. See ya.